This is the place that the UFC and Bellator come to for the inside scoop of what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The doors of the gym are opened up just for you. We are the MMA Insiders. Here are your hosts, Jason Floyd of the MMA Report and the president of Combat Sports Media, Sam Kaplan. Welcome into the MMA Insiders podcast right here on Radio Fluence. Of course, I am Jason Floyd, typically joined by Sam Kaplan. I love Sam Kaplan. Unable to do the show this week, so bringing in a special guest co-host. He is now a welterweight with the World Series of Fighting, Paul Bradley. Paul, man, I really appreciate you. Coming on, on the podcast this week, uh, first off, man, how, how have things been going with you? It's, it's been a while since we've seen you in the cage. We've got a fight coming up here. You have a fight booked here uh, recently. Yep. What has been going on? I mean, obviously, the, we'll get into the free agency process been going on with you, but is it just mainly you're just sitting there grinding in the gym? Yeah, pretty much. You know, uh, big thanks for having me on, of course. You know, Sam, Sam Kaplan, he's a great guy. I've known that guy for forever since my uh, ring of combat days. You know, he's out there in East Coast, but... uh yeah, man, I just, I've been grinding, um, you know, the whole free agency thing kind of took me, took me by storm. I wasn't really expecting it until I got the notice in July, finally from Bellator that I possibly wasn't going to be resigned. So, um, I kept training the whole time, you know, but, uh, you know, thankfully I was able to sign with World Series of Fighting and, and get a fight within a rather, relatively short time of signing with them. So yeah, it's just been all grind and, and trying to get better at different skills and, you know, getting ready for this next fight. And I saw that uh, Darian Caldwell has made his way down there to San Diego, and you got the opportunity to train with him. So so what's it like training with, I mean, a guy that's obviously super athletic. He's got a yep. tremendous amateur wrestling background from his days at NC State. What's it like training with him? It, it, it's great. You know, he, he brings a new level of, of uh, athleticism to the team, a new attitude. Uh it's good, you know. He, he came here as soon as you know he got beat by uh, Joe Tominglo, who used to be a former Alliance teammate of mine. So, you know, he made the right move. He's training with some of the the best uh, bantamweights in the world, with Dominic Cruz and and all these other studs we have in there at his weight. So, uh, it's pretty awesome. He's a left hander too, so that's helping me out for Yushin. And uh, he's just a good guy to have around, especially a guy who who I've known for a long time through the wrestling community. I mean, and you, you know, people may not realize this. I mean, you, you've been in this game for over a decade now. I mean, when you started back in, in 2006, and if someone had said, hey, in 2016, you're still going to be fighting, w- would you have believed them? You know, I, I kind of just started this whole process of just having fun with it. You know, I started my career in Indiana on the Legends of Fighting championship circuit, and it was like, even back then, it was like the Wild Wild West days. I was fighting in smoky bars and, uh, absolutely no, no athletic commissions, no blood testing, nothing, man. I think back, man, that could have turned out really bad, you know, but, um, it was definitely an experience I would never take away from it. But, you know, it's one of those things where I've been in this game so long. I thankfully haven't suffered, uh, injuries where my body is really torn down. You know, I have my minor bumps and bruises, but Overall, my body is uh, feels pretty great um, uh, as far as being able to do this sport for ten years. But yeah, if you had asked me back when I was, you know, started this sport when I was twenty three, if I was gonna be doing it when I'm thirty three, I probably would have said heck no. But it's kind of, it's been a journey, that's for sure. 
I know one of the things, and you've seen in MMA, and you see it now uh, in a lot of the major sports. I, I know uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers here in Tampa, where yep. I live for and, and work for the radio network, they've gotten the, the cryotherapy. Um, yep. You know, is that something that you've gotten into, or is it one of those things that you just haven't had the opportunity to try it out yet? Yeah, actually, funny you bring that up. Uh, my, one of my sponsors is called Chilling Out. It's a cryotherapy uh, cryotherapy spot right here in. Uh, San Diego, uh, Point Loma, and right next to my house here in Pacific Beach. So uh, the guy, Ryan, has been awesome. He's been able to allow me to come in when I, I need to get my body, you know, back in tune. And it, It's crazy, man. It, it really does work wonders, and it's a lot better than sitting in an ice bath for 15 minutes, you know. I, I got to imagine back in your wrestling days, that was pretty much – it had to be well, after every practice session you were getting in that cold tub. We used to do this thing called Russian saunas, okay? So first thing we would start with at, at Iowa, they'd lock us all in this sauna. You know, it's 130 degrees, so you're sweating uh, with all these dudes around you. You're claustrophobic. So you sit in there for 20 minutes, then they make you go out on the mat and put a towel over you, and you're still sweating. But at the very end, they throw you in that damn tub in the sauna. And it's, man, I remember the first time I did it, I hyperventilating i thought <laughs> they kept having it. gable was pushing my head back back in and zaleski was pushing my feet back in because i it's just a shock you know mm-hmm. i was you know my body was so hot from being in the, the sauna and then they throw me in that damn that damn tub it was like your body just goes right into shock so uh it's definitely a lot easier to adjust to three minutes of hell than you know 15 minutes in you know, in, in that cold tub. So, you know, and obviously people may remember from your UFC days, we're going to talk, start off uh, talking about the free agency process, because that's really one of the, the biggest stories uh, on the business side of mixed martial arts over, you know, in the last nine or 12 months. And, you know, I remember talking to you prior to uh, what ended up being your last fight in Bellator there at Bellator 148. And it really, it wasn't a narrative out there. It was kind of a very quiet situation. And you go out there and uh, you did something that I, I didn't think you were going to go. I don't think many it's people outside it's your all camp, good. you know. Every, you know what? Like, uh, you know, I, I, I did. I followed what you said and you thought, he was going to decision me and that you know what i and it's it's a lot of people believe that and i just use that as motivation i was so ready to just split that kid's head in by the time i got out there like i was it was one of those fights i had such tunnel vision it was like it was crazy man um you know just the way he had disrespected me after that fight and Mm -hmm. and like literally had these people on twitter who were who were just like on me, man. And I was just like, really? So, you know, and kind of the way it got set up, you know, when I, I fought him in Fresno, it was like, man, my back was to the wall and I had to come out fighting like a dog. So mm-hmm. it was just crazy, you know? So it, in, in the end, it was good that I saw, you know, everyone's like, oh yeah, this guy's the next big thing. You know, I, I think he decisions Bradley, even though Bradley's tough, but I, I knew I could finish the guy. I just had to put my hands on him immediately. So, Hey, I'm the first one to say that I get a ton of fight picks wrong. <laughs> you know, yeah. there, there's, there's all good. You know, but I, I, I'm glad to sit there and admit it. I, I don't, I don't try to hide from it. But uh, yep. you know, but obviously, you go out there, you get that 40 second win, and, and just a, an incredible win. And then you know, ends up it's it's a couple months later we find out, hey, Paul was a free agent, and mm-hmm. now he's with the World Series of Fighting. And obviously, it, you, you allude to it a little earlier. It's a, it's something that you didn't expect. 
uh, kind of go the way it went. You know, first off, and I know a lot of people want to know this. I know the answer to this question, but Bellator never made an offer to you. You know what? Uh, they they kind of uh, they did well because that was the last fight on my contract, so that put them in a weird situation. Um, but no, they. I, I thought we did come in an agreement on, on money. Uh, they had actually told me um, as Kogan was flying to uh, St. Louis for that Dynamite show that Chandler headlined, uh, mm-hmm. they told me we, he'd get the deal done when they landed. Nothing. Um, so then, you know, a week or two later, we're going to get this deal done. Nothing. And finally, I just was like um, a couple of people at the Dynamite, Dynamite show that, you know, like I uh, alluded to in the Twitter about the good thing about fighting in these smaller, you know, companies or or less people, you know, working for them, you become friends with them. So yeah. you get the inside and and actually one of the people who worked for him actually told one of my coaches he actually thought I w- was already cut. So that put me my head in a you know tailspin. So I, I just took it upon myself and I literally texted, called Rich Chow until he got back to me and. He finally got back to me, you know, second week in July, and said, you know, Paul, here's the deal: we got too many, uh, too many fighters, and not enough events. And I mean, I pleaded my case. I, I was like, what, what, what happened to the Scott Coker saying I was getting the number one contender fighter, the next title shot? I was like, where'd that all go? And he's like, uh, it's just the name of the game. And I was, it was more shocked than anything. And he told me, you know, uh, he said to me. You know, we'll have our decision within the next week or two. And at that point, I already made it up in my mind. I'm going to make the decision for him, you know, because at, at that point, it's pretty obvious that they didn't want me. So, yeah, I mean, wouldn't you, I mean, I, I got to imagine I'm just thinking about being a business owner or when I didn't own a business and I was an employee for somebody. If you don't want me, just tell me, you know, don't beat around the bush. If, if you don't. And when all that situation going down, I people asking me, they said, well, why do you think Bellator didn't want Paul? And the only thing I can come to is they didn't like your fighting style. Yep, they they didn't like that, and they 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 absolutely didn't like the the fact that I took out. Let's be honest, the Golden Boy. You know that that was the next big thing. That was the guy they they expected to with an impressive win. They they had already told him he was getting the next title shot. You know, and which is funny because I mean Chris doesn't fight any more exciting than me, so. It's kind of like who you know in this business and who who who, uh, who markets you, you know, pretty much. And yeah. let's be honest, you know, I, I, I go back and I watch that fight and someone recorded it right out of the stands. And, I mean, I can see Honeycutt's manager sitting directly next to Scott Coker. Like, what kind of organization do you know that allows, you know, a manager to sit right next to the president? I, I, I don't know of one, so... I mean, everyone knows uh, the Zinkin Group has a very tight relationship with Scott Coker. I mean, it goes back to the Strike Force days. I mean, everyone yep. knows it. I mean, and and look, it's and it's not a big revelation. I mean, this happens in a lot of promotions where you know matchmakers yep. they they have good relationships. Sam Kaplan's talked about it on this podcast. You know, when you know that relationship he had, if all of a sudden. Uh, you know, a fighter falls out a week before the fight. The relationship, the, the good relationships he has with fighters. I mean, he talked about his relationship with Monty Cox, and yep. Monty Cox would always be one of his first phone calls and say, "Hey, right. I need a one seventy or who you got?" Yep. You know, yep. I mean, it's and you know, I mean, obviously, Chris is. Do you think it's a good move? Chris is going up to one eighty five. You know what? I think he looked a lot better. Um, 
to be honest, you know, and he's one of those guys who's tall enough to fight at that weight class. And I mean, the guy was a national runner up at 197. So I was a little taken off when he was able, even able to make 170. But yeah, I mean, I thought he looked good his last fight. He looked like he had more energy and I don't, I don't think it's a bad move. Um, Let's be honest. Look at 170 in the Bellator division. It is stacked compared to yeah. 185, and that's that's not taking anything away from 185. But if we look at it legitimately, at who's there at 170, a lot of those guys could be top guys in the UFC too. You know. Oh yeah, no, no question. One thing I want to go back. Uh, something you were talking about. You know, money situation. Yep. And, you know, one of the things as reporters that we do is, and and a lot of it's because you know we're in the business of web clicks. And, you know, fans love to know what fighters are making. And I, I know Will Brooks ha, has talked about this in the past that, you know, he didn't like the fact that his money was thrown out there, what his disclosed pay is. Where do you yep. stand on that? I mean, um, you know, obviously anyone who follows you on Twitter at Paul Bradley 184, they'll know you're a huge fan of, of Pittsburgh sports, you know, the Steelers mm-hmm. and the, uh, the Penguins, whatnot. And, you know, we know what those those players are making. And, and a lot of it right. is because the agents are putting it out there because it's basically a way for them to, to advertise themselves of, hey, look, this is what I got for that fighter, that this athlete. But for you in this industry, and I know disclosed salaries does not tell the story a majority of the time. But for you, do you, do you like that it, it's out there? Or is it one of those things of like, I don't want people out there knowing how much I make. I think it's absolutely fine, you know, because just like you said, you can uh, you can use that those numbers, uh, you know, when you do become a free agent as a negotiating crisis. So mm-hmm. um, I don't mind it. Uh, I I know a lot of guys get really like uh, put off by it, but I'm okay with it. I mean, we're not making millions anyway, so it's doesn't really bother me and honestly i've never even really thought about it you know my disclosed paydays have only been out a few times and you know it is what it is so i'm absolutely okay with it yeah there's more and more states that it's becoming private record i mean where i live in florida uh there was some lobbying done that that zufa had had done and it really it wasn't about uh disclosed salaries or even drug test results it was more about uh, literally, you could sit there and put a public record request in to find out how much merchandise that was sold at an event, how much concessions was sold at an event, uh, what what was TV revenue for that event, and and ultimately what ends up going down is, uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, you know here we're recording this on, on Tuesday night. Uh, earlier today, I reached out to the Florida Commission about Titan and their drug testing mm-hmm. results, and which was interesting because. Uh, the Florida Boxing Commission is like, well, it's not public record anymore. However, we can tell you that no one received any penalties. So I'm like, so basically you're telling me no one failed a drug test because in the state of Florida, if it doesn't matter whether we're talking a UFC, a Bellator, a World Series of Fighting, or even some local show, it's in the state statutes. If there's a title fight, they have to drug test the fighters. And one of the things I've always said is, if you're failing a, a drug test on fight night, you got to be pretty stupid. Yeah, uh, I mean, let's let's be honest. Like, <laughs> I mean, there there is a lot of guys on stuff in this sport, you know, and I'm one of the few that's not. You know, I've always grown up, you know, in the Iowa wrestling mentality, hard work will get it done, you know, and I eat right yeah. and all that stuff. But But there is a lot of guys who will take shortcuts to get there, so... Um, you know, that's one thing I will say about California is they are very strict on their drug testing. Every single fighter on my card in Fresno, I was told was drug tested, which is nice to know. 
but uh, I also know I fought out other spots where um, I don't even think, uh, yeah, I don't think I was drug tested at the Mohegan Sun, actually. So, well, I know with um, Mohegan, I, there it's it's a total random process there. Um, yeah. you know, in in talking with Mike Mazzoli, who who runs that commission, who who quite honestly, and, and you can talk about this just because you're dealing with this sport for a long time. Yep. There, there's some regulators that can be, you know, quote unquote, pain in the ass. You know, but they're they're being a pain in the ass for a good reason. You know, they're trying to do, you know, and one of the things Mike has always said is he's just trying to do things that's best for fighters. I mean, I think one of the things we've seen is is the early weigh-ins. And I'm pretty sure for that Bellator card in Fresno, they did early weigh-ins for that one, correct? Or was that before it? Yeah, that was actually before it, so... But I, but I gotta imagine that's gotta be is and I mean obviously you're you're in a gym that fires who have gone through that early weigh in process. I mean Dominic Cruz is a perfect example of it, a guy that does cut a lot of weight to get to one thirty five. What's your thoughts on, on that early weigh in process? Do you do you like it? Do you not like it? I mean, because like you you've heard some fires say that if you don't if you don't plan it out right, it can actually be a detriment to you. Like, say, if you you try to put too much food or water in your system over that, you know, 24, 36 hours. Yeah, I, I actually like the later weigh-ins um, for just because I, I, I know if I have that extra time, I'm going to put on probably a little more weight than I need to. Um, I usually walk, walk into the cage only about 188 pounds, uh, and I feel a lot better when I do that. I, I've walked in as much as 195, and that first round feels awful. I feel sluggish. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not moving my feet as well. Um, and uh, I, I think it's better to have the weigh-ins 24 hours. But, you know, then again, like you said, I can see guys cutting a ton more weight now and then putting a ton more weight back on, which could either be helpful or harmful to them too. But, so. Uh, to go back to the free agency process, obviously you ended up getting that that multi fight deal with the World Series of Fighting. Was it obviously when when you realized that the, the Bellator was not going to happen? It was pretty much you, you realized that World Series of Fighting was pretty much the next spot for you, or were you kind of trying to keep your 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 options open? Yeah, I mean, I contacted them immediately through their Twitter. Um, I contacted Joe Silva through his email and. Uh, I tried to get a hold of 1FC, even though I wasn't real high on fighting over there. I've heard kind of some horror stories about guys getting flown in like the day before weigh-ins type stuff, and kind of, kind of always. Uh, if you're an American fighter, you're kind of you're kind of put out there to to lose. You know, they kind of put everything against you if you're fighting a uh, an Asian fighter or, or whatever. So, um, you know, unfortunately, Joe Silva got right back to me and. And told me, hey, you know, uh, you haven't fought enough the last three years. Uh, I'd only fought five, you know, five times, and and uh, he said I need a longer win streak. But in my defense, I I was locked into Bellator. I didn't. I mean, I couldn't get more fights. I, I wanted more fights, but it's one of those things where I was locked in. And World Series, uh, they they came back with an offer right off the bat, and it was either you know not sign with them or or go f- fight on like the local circuit making no money again and at this point in my career I didn't feel that that was really you know that was really acceptable for me especially after such a good performance against Honeycutt and you know the fight before that I took out near too so uh world series of fighting just made sense for me yeah that's one of the things that I think a lot of people it, it seems to I think for the the Intune fans, they they're very aware of this, but I think there, there's a, a portion of the fan base that, that just doesn't understand 
how low the pay is on these, you know, regional shows where um, if you're not a a major ticket seller in the market, I mean, there's guys that you hear about that, you know, can go out and sell four or 500, you know, tickets. I mean, yeah, they're making good money, but if you're not that ticket seller, it's really tough. Yeah, you know, and I'm stuck in a spot here in California where they don't pay anything and they basically go off ticket sales at these small shows. And granted, I could probably hustle and sell maybe 100 or 150, but dude, that's a lot of work. And still, you know, maybe I'll get 20, 25% of that. Uh, when I was in Minnesota training, it was a little bit different. I was able to really sell tickets. I, you know, I worked at a gym and trained at another. So I, I had that connection to be able to move a bunch of tickets, but out here it's like there's so many fighters out here and fighters are a dime a dozen. So it really is. It's, it's tough out here. I had my first year out here. I went on, you know, I went a whole year before I could get a fight in Bellator uh, when I finally did sign with them. So it's tough. And like I said, that is not the route I felt in my career I needed to go right now. So, you know, I, uh, world series made sense. You know, World Series is a promotion that I've kind of talked about. They, they've been in this kind of transition period, uh, you know, for since basically about the end of last year where obviously they, they had some changes with uh, Matchmaker and, and some, C, you know, some people, higher level people that ended up exiting. And, but, but what's it like for you just dealing with Ray Seffo, a former fighter who obviously he knows what you're going through? I, I got to imagine that that's got to – it's got to be a big pitch by them to for for Ray to be coming, you know, calling guys like yourself to sit there and go, "Hey, I know what you're going through. I'm going to be, you know, an advocate for you for what you need." Yeah, it was awesome. Like I said, uh, you know, in a prior interview, how many people do you know that, you know, or how many um, uh, presidents do you know that will actually directly call the fighter? It it, it was great. He, he understood all my concerns I, I had with Bellator at the time. Um, and how I was treated. So uh, it was really nice to know that, you know, I had a guy on my side in, in, in that aspect. So uh, after talking with Ray, the, the deal was pretty much sealed at that point, and I, I knew that's where I was heading. I, I got to ask, what, what was your relationship like with Scott Coker? It's pretty much non-existent. <laughs> I, um, you know, I had tried to talk to him a few times, but he kind of always seemed to snub me a little bit. Uh I remember, uh, you know, after after the fight in Mohegan, I went up to him. He, you know, he told me that was turning into a great fight, and I'd get the rematch. And then I saw him out here when uh, they ran a show right here in uh, Temecula, and uh, I went direct <clears throat> directly up to him and said I wanted that rematch. He's like, uh, yeah, we'll get it." And then he just turned his back and walked away. And I was like, "Oh, okay. I guess that's the end of our conversation." So. Um, you know, I, I thought we were on the same page after Fresno. You know, I had a little bit of a longer discussion with him, and he was very happy with the performance, and he told me he was going to get me something big, but obviously that fell on deaf ears, and uh, here I am with World Series. Is that is that when you you kind of have that feeling, it's just frustrated kind of the way you're like, man, what what do I got to do to get this attention? I just go out there, have a 40-second knockout, and – I mean, you would think that, you know, hey, you, you would want there. I mean, the whole thing about, you know, maybe not, you know, there's there's room on the roster, but they're talking about signing a guy that in Ryback, a professional wrestler that I looked him up, I didn't see any anything to where, say, even if he was a high school wrestler. Yeah, uh, it's, you know, it's, um, you know, Bellator's kind of pushing towards that shock value 
type of fights these days, you know, get get the, that viewership up. But, you know, they, they have signed some really good guys. Roy McDonald is going to be a force in that division. Um, but on the other hand, I think a lot of it comes down to they want that viewership. And, I mean, even though Dada 5000 Kimbo was a horrible, awful fight, I mean, they got the viewership they wanted. That might have been the worst fight ever. It was pretty bad. Like, how do you gas out when you're in mount? <laughs> I don't I know. Mean, and, yeah. and you're not throwing punches. You're you're not even throwing punches. You're just hanging on. But I mean, the guys, the guy had a heart attack in in, in the ring for crying out loud. It's just it's baffling, you know. And then you guys, you got guys like Patricio Pibble, who I, you know, the Pibble brothers. I'm huge fans of. And then you know, I feel like those guys don't get hardly enough respect for how long they've been with that promotion and put their time in with them you know and, and they are two guys and and i've talked to regulators about this they will they will yell at regulators if there's not drug testing i mean yeah. he, he will sit there and will just berate the regulators if there's not <laughs> drug testing you know and and it, to me it was crazy uh you know when when i did an interview with patricio earlier this year and, and he says i was not drug tested uh, you know, for my title fight uh, in St. Louis. And I'm like, I go, wow. you were not drug tested. And it ends up, I, I reached out to, that was when he uh, he fought Daniel Strauss. And I reached out to right. Strauss and I said, did you get drug tested at this event? And he goes, no, why? Why are you asking? And I said, well, Patricio said this to me, so I'm going to do a story on it. And I'm going to reach out to the Missouri Commission. And then the Missouri Commission hides behind this, pub- this private record. I'm like, hold on. You have two fighters who are publicly saying for a title fight. You didn't drug test them. And I believe that was the same card as, I want to say, Kimbo and Ken Shamrock. And I'm sitting there going, if you're not testing for a title fight, do you do you really believe that people are going to believe you tested the main event? Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's the first I've heard of that. But, yeah, I, I mean, I think drug testing is needed in this sport. It cleans up our sport and it keeps everyone on a you know level playing field. What's your thoughts on USADA? I mean, I know that uh, I, I know a lot of fighters hate the 6 a.m. wake-up call. I was I remember I was doing an interview with Bilal Muhammad, who's now in the UFC, and, and this was prior to uh, his, his last fight. He was telling me that he gets uh, you know a knock on his door at 6 a.m. It's USADA. He's like, whatever, you know. He he was sleeping, but you know comes in, does a drug test, and he goes to a trains at Rufus Sport. And he goes to Rufus Sport to do his afternoon session, and the the same USADA test is there testing CM Punk. And he goes up to the guy and goes, you couldn't wait a couple hours? You had to wake me up? <laughs> yeah, I mean, USADA's a little extreme, but I, I, I think it's good for the sport. But, yeah, their actions are – they're they're a little bit out there, like like you said. They, they're they're hounding you. If, you. if you don't tell them you're going on a trip and – all this other stuff, you can be fine. It's kind of crazy, but that, like that's my uh, problem with it. Like, if you sit there and say all of a sudden, like, "Hey, I, I'm going to go to Vegas this weekend to just hang out with the boys," and you guys, say, "Oh, sorry, guys, I got to tell you, Sada first. I want to go out of town." Like, you know, and I remember talking to a manager about this, and he t- and he tells all of his fighters. He said, "He goes, you Sada can't control what your life is. You know, you can sit there and put it in the app, but they can't stop you from going anywhere." Right. Right, but it almost reminds me of someone who who is literally on probation is what it reminds me of. You yeah. know, you you almost got to you know, you got to reach out to your your probation officer before you go somewhere. It's 
pretty much the exact same thing, except, you know, it, it's to drug test you and it's for a sport and you never gotten in, in, uh, in trouble. So I don't know. They're, they're a little extreme, but like I said, they're good for the sport. They're cleaning up the sport and they're catching a lot of people, which is always good. I mean, when you, when you watch fights, you know, do you, does, does your, uh, you know, they talk about that radar going off. How often right. does that radar go off for you? Uh, not as much anymore, but man, back in the day, that radar radar was going off all the time. You look at, you look back at the old Overeem, the old Brock Lesnar. Yeah, uh, those guys were. That wasn't natural. I don't care what you say. <laughs> those those guys weren't natural. So, uh, I think you know we're seeing a big difference in a lot of fighters now and how they're fighting and. And what they look like when they step in the cage on fight night. You as, know? as someone who covers uh, Nevada Athletic Commission hearings and, and hearing some of the excuses you hear, I always love when uh, God, I forget the fighter, but all of a sudden acted like he didn't know how to speak English, and I'm like, "You've done interviews in English." I can't think. <laughs> it, it was in like the last two years. All of a sudden, miraculously, they couldn't speak English. And I'm wow. just like, it's like, oh, man, it's like you, you, you rather that the fire just sit up there and own up to it and just say, you know what? Um, I mean, you kind of look at uh, Gilbert Melendez pretty much just owned up to it. Chad Mendez has right. done the same thing. I mean, and I think that fans are going to forgive you if all of a sudden you just own up to it. And say, you know what? I did this. I mean, I, I remember I forget who a fighter was, and, and they took a, a steroid to help cut weight. And they said, "Look, I just I was struggling making weight." And uh, you know, the, and the other one that I laughed about I was like, you know, some guy just gave me this pill in the gym, and I decided to take it. Like, come on, you're <laughs> you're, you're just not popping a pill. In a, you know, it's like, come on, you're gonna know what it is. Yeah, you might be referring to Mike Richman if. Uh... If I'm thinking correctly, but yeah, no, Mike, no, Mike never, um, he never, uh, had to go in front of the commission. He accepted his penalty. Um, yeah. you know, and, and he's, uh, I, I know when all that happened, I reached out to Mike and, uh, you know, I said, Hey, you know, do you want to do an interview? And, and he told me, he says, look, when I come off suspension, I'll give you an interview. Um, mm-hmm. but he, he's, you know, everything I, I've been told is he, he owned up to everything, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, and, and you know, and, you know, he got the two-year suspension. He actually comes off suspension. Uh, I want to say the beginning of the year, beginning of yeah, uh, twenty seventeen. Pretty soon. So pretty soon, uh, he, you know, he's not that far. Away. I mean, and, and you know, and he, I, obviously he can go overseas and fight if he wanted to. But I, I think that a lot of fighters necessarily don't want to go that route because then, then do you run into some problems when you try to get a license in the United States? And, and you know, we'll see what see what happens with with Mike going forward. I mean. You look at the Shomenko thing, and and you know mm-hmm. obviously he he was able to to walk away from that, but uh, Shomenko is going to get drug tested the rest of his life. You know, he, yeah. And I, what wasn't his like level like fifty to one or? Oh something? yeah, yeah. It, it was crazy, and you Some know, ridiculous. and really, and where the California Commission screwed up on that one is there was no B sample, there was just oh. an A sample. So I mean, if they would have split that urine into two initially, he he yeah. never wins that appeal. And, right. and, he, and he still right. would have got three. Yeah, it was. I, I think it was a a TE ratio. It, it might have been just over fifty to one. Yeah, I mean, it was something ridiculous. It, it's crazy, and and that's you know one of my things. I always said I, I think that if you're you're truly going to catch uh, people who are who are cheating the system, a it has to be out of competition, 
and right. and you got to do blood because there's certain things that urine is not going to detect. I know there's some. I was reading recently there there's some more urine tests that can uh, detect HGH use and you know whether it's you know how it's injected um, that apparently USADA is using. Um, but mm-hmm. it, it, the one thing that's interesting to me is when the UFC brought in USADA. I remember I had someone in the industry say to me, he goes, USADA works for promotions. They don't work for commissions. But then as time has gone on, these commissions really have been learning a lot from USADA. I mean, and USADA is not – they're not perfect. Um, one of the things that I don't personally like um, is this throwing out Fighter X has been flagged for a potential violation. So right. automatically – he is seen at or her is seen as a cheater automatically. They're they're guilty right. in the court of public perception, but you know then all of a sudden it, you know if they if they win their appeal, it's not going to get all those headlines. I mean, so to me, right. I, I really wish it, that that potential you know flagging for potential violation wasn't out there. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think we just saw it recently in the UFC. Right. That one fighter who was uh, the Russian. Um, yeah. He was supposed to fight here in Tampa at the, at the uh, Fox show. Um, Islam Makhachev. He actually uh, right. just fought Chris Wade. Yeah. He was one, you know, in and I, I know Kareem Zidane, bloody dot com has done a great piece on that actual uh, you know, a drug and whether it's really legal, whether it's really a banned list or not, it's it's crazy. I mean, then you know, it's like you feel bad. Like, um, you look at some of these fighters that fights in states where the uh, the limit for marijuana is not what the water code is. Uh, Joe Warren's a perfect example of this. When he got busted right. in Texas uh, for his fight against L.C. Davis, I think he was fifty three to one. The legal limit in Texas is 51, but the WADA code's 150 to 1. So it's like, wow. it, it's one of those things of, I kind of feel bad for, for you guys is because it's different rules in every state. I, I wish there was uni- uniformity of like, hey, you fight in California, it's the same rule if you're fighting in New Jersey or Texas, you know, and that's, that's got to be the tough aspect, right? Yeah, across the board would be great, you know, that way. So we, we know what we're dealing with every single time, you know. Marijuana is not like a thing I'm even into, but like for a guy like Joe Warren, who who already seems like he's he's got a high level of anxiety and and emotion, you know, I, I I'm sure he does need something, you know, he does need marijuana to to live a relatively normal life, you know, but it's just too bad, yeah, because that was a great fight he had against Elsie Davis, and then it gets turned to no contest if I remember right. Yeah, correct? yeah, yeah, yeah. Greg Alvarez, uh, the director of that commission, told me that. You know, and one of the things I, I love about Joe Warren is Joe Warren's an open book. You know, he sits yep. there, he talks to you, he opens up, and, you know, he talked to me about, you know, I was listening to his, one of his podcasts recently. He was talking about sponsorship pay, which is something I've, I've really talked about because I think that the, the perception people have of what sponsorship pay is and the reality are two different things. I think that fans just seem to think that you can make $50,000 in sponsorship pay for Bellator fighters, you know, and me coming from a, a marketing background, I understand that from a advertiser aspect, UFC and Bellator is not considered equals in the advertising world. And, and I think that, you know, a lot of fans don't understand that, you know, Joe talked about, you know, he was struggling to find sponsors that were willing to pay him $2,000, 
uh, you know, right. to, to be on his shorts. I mean, Benson Henderson, I, I commend him for being as open and honest as he has, as he talked about, he said literally for his first fight in Bellator, it was around the same money that he would have made in the Reebok deal, which for him uh, was $20,000. And, right. you know, and I talked to, I mean, I've talked to fighters about this. I've talked to sponsors about this. And Joe brought up, and I was glad he brought it up, he talked about return on investment. And that's one of the things I hear from sponsors. They'll say, we can't be a charity. we got to get return mm-hmm. on investment. And, and, and i got to imagine that's maybe one of your biggest issues when you're going out and finding advertisers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you hit the nail on the head. It, it's one of the things where you know the sponsorship isn't what it used to be you know back in the day i'd heard hear of guys making thirty thousand from affliction uh, another 20 from uh condom depot or something something crazy you know but now nowadays you're 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 lucky if your t-shirt pays you like three grand and that's a heck of a good deal you know um thankfully i i went out and found my own sponsors a lot of them i know uh personally but I'm running into the same problems for this next fight being that, you know, World Series is on the same night as the Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I got sponsors telling me, well, you know, it, we can sponsor you, but at the same time, we're not going to get that many views because all eyes are going to be on that card. So, yeah, I'm running into those problems right now and trying to work them out. But, yeah, it's. Yeah, one one of the numbers I heard, and this it's been a while since I heard this number, but for a Bellator T-shirt sponsor was fifteen hundred was a number that that seemed to get thrown out a, a lot that I'd mm. heard, um, you know. But it, and obviously it's you know and, and you know and obviously if you have those connections with sponsors that that helps uh, you out there as well. But it, it's just that and the other part of this is think of you know. Just a couple of years ago, think of all the MMA T-shirt companies that are out there. I mean, they're gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. Affliction really, I mean, Bad Boy, you really don't see them much anymore. Um, I mean, I know they have a couple of deals still out there, but you think about I me, mean, Tap Out's completely out of yep. the the MMA business. They're, they're now in, in the WWE business. And, right. and, I, and I, from, coming from my marketing background, I sit there and go, if all these companies are going away, that's got to be a product of the industry. And when I go cover an MMA event, I, I don't see fans uh, in those shirts. I, I see the fans in, in they're wearing a regular polo shirt or, or, or a regular T-shirt. And to me, I'm like, man, if fans in the stands aren't wearing the MMA T-shirts, that, that starts to signal the problem. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I remember a few years back when I, I fought Rockhold uh, in Strikeforce. What was it? Full Tilt paid me, I think. 7500 and uh tap out paid me 4500 and that was just two sponsors and damn i'd be lucky to even come close to making that on seven sponsors now you know with any yeah. promotion so it, it's just it, it's a tough thing you know and uh mm-hmm. it's you know you feel for them but i mean also i mean part of this i, I think it goes back several years and, and i know you've talked about this on social media and responding to the fans is you know when when the ufc put that tax on sponsors that that was part of killing the industry as well right yeah i mean when i first had my first fight in the ufc uh at a company that uh was sponsoring me that actually um trying to think back now uh it's funny too because then they sponsored uh yushin directly after it but uh 
they uh, they were they paid me five thousand, and then uh, they were supposed to pay the UFC fifty thousand. They got they got I think three or four fights in, and then uh, that was it. They, yeah, I mean, they instead of, so instead of paying the fifty grand, they they went ahead and just got three or four fights and called it a day. So. Yeah, because for a lot of companies, they just can't afford that. I mean, it's just yeah. because, I mean, you talk about then, that return on investment. I mean, I remember uh, Ben Folk's sort of article probably, I don't know, two, three years ago about um, dynamic fasteners. And where right. the CEO of the company said, look, if they came to me right now and said, I've got to pay that tax, I'm out of the business of sponsoring fighters. You know, and, and I remember right. I did an interview with uh, Trent Cotney, who's a, a Tampa-based lawyer, and he, you know, he still sponsors fighters. Um, you know, he filed. Tell me, he told me. He said, "Look, I, there's not a return on investment on this for me. I'm not making yeah. any. You know, he goes. There's not many you know, people looking for a, a contractor lawyer to come help them out. Um, but but right. he but he does it because he wants to help the fighters out. I mean, and, and let's be honest about it. He's a rarity. Right, right. Yeah. I'm, like I said, I remember my first fight in the UFC. I I used like a uh, I used a construction company. I had a um, junkyard sponsor me and only because these were companies that didn't weren't competing against any of the ufc brands and the one company uh i i just remembered their name get some fight gear that did sponsor me the t-shirt company like i said they weren't able to get in three or four fights before you know you ufc sent them that that uh that sponsorship task uh tax of like 50 grand so they were out the door after that so, well, and then the other thing just, is like the UFC now has where they're selling the the used gear, and and my understanding is the yeah. fighters don't get a piece of that, which None is, of it. I, I mean, of course, I remember me and Sam did a show probably about a year ago when we were going through it. I mean, and there was used sports bras, and I'm like, who is buying this stuff? <laughs> like seriously. <laughs> <They're>... <laughs> like I would uh, want to be the guy that delivered it to the fan to see who is buying this some weird dudes out there there's a fetish for everything so i mean i, I mean i get and i'm not a i'm not a big you know an autograph person any, anything i mean you know through my years of covering you know being involved in sports i have a couple of, of things here in my office but um I, i've always sat there and you know and early on in my media you know, my radio career i would do a lot of uh, events with you know you're out at somewhere with a player doing a show whatnot and obviously fans, you know, show up and, and, and they want autographs. And, and I always sit there with a player and I'd be like, like, don't you think this is kind of weird in a way? Like, I, I, I would think you'd want to take a picture with, maybe if you brought a picture that you were with the player, I think that would have some submissible value where you'd want to watch, you know, have that. But there's a lot. I, I never forgot I had a, I was doing an autograph signing with, with a guy who played at LSU. And he won a national title, and the guy comes up, and he's like, hey, can you sign this whatever year national champion? He goes, don't you mean this year? I was like, oh, I just had to walk away. I mean, but uh, it's just it's it's weird to me of, you know, we just hope that if you wore a shirt that you would get a little piece of that pie. Right, right. Yeah, you would think, you know, considering it came off your back. But, yeah, it's, it's a monopoly right now. So fighters are really forced to kind of – be at the beck and call of the promotion. Now, when when you heard the UFC got sold for four billion, what what, what goes through your mind? Because I gotta imagine that was right when that story comes out. That, that had to be a major topic in the gym. Yeah, uh, I mean, a lot of the fighters just hope things 
they hope for the best as far as like things being able to change. Maybe this Reebok deal goes out the door, you know, uh, like I said, I, I got a lot of teammates who, who, you know, are fighting in the UFC who, who are getting, you know, 2,500 to five grand for, for fight on their sponsorship. So it's, I don't know this Reebok thing. It's too bad. I don't know that anyone's buying that gear. Are they? I I remember uh, the last UFC event I was at. I may have saw one or two. I mean, yeah. I I just you know because I I look at it and I, I think first off it's it's overpriced. Um, right. You know, I mean, I'm sitting there going, if that stuff was like you know for like the 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 the. Uh, with, I think they call it the jersey, but let's just call it a, a dry right. fish. It's a dry fish turtle. Let's, let's call it what it is. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> if, if that was 35 bucks, I think you could sell a lot more of those. But, I mean, I think they range 75 to $90. I'm sitting there going, who, you know, you have to be a hardcore fan of that fighter and, and to want to buy it. I mean, I, I remember I think it was, what, Derek Lewis who come out, came out and said, he's like, my family can't afford to buy this stuff. Right. I mean, Right, and I think it- – yeah, it was the other guy who, uh, what was his name? Tom Lawler was saying, yeah, if anyone buys this shirt, I'll kick their ass for them or <laughs> <Yeah>. something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just, it, it's, and it's not exactly stuff that you sit there and go, oh, man, that's a cool design. I mean, it's, it's very blah, you know, yeah. in, in the design they had. I mean, I, look, I understand why the UFC did. I get it, but I, I just think that if you were going to, and always, I always laugh when you know I hear you know people in Bellator say, "Oh, we would never do that." If someone came to Bellator right now and offered them thirty million dollars, they would sign that deal in a heartbeat. It's like, come oh. on! But but I think where the UFC screwed up is they should have allowed where, hey, you have one spot. This is the size that it can be. You had the chance to sell one sponsor. And I think that then that would have put the fighters in great leverage with sponsors to where you could start playing sponsors to get each other, and then sponsors would start overpaying. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, there was never that opportunity, though, unfortunately. And then you see other guys who are able to get these monster deals, too, with, with the Reebok deals. So, other fighters getting salty over that, so yeah, it's just uh... <laughs> yeah, because then it's like who who's getting those monster deals? I mean, I, I saw Uriah Hall had one for his last fight, and I'm sitting there going, "Why is Uriah Hall one of the guys?" I, it just kind of, I mean, you know, obviously for like a guy like Connor, you know, Dominic has has been with you know Monster for years. You know, the, right. those guys, it makes sense. But I'm sitting there going, Uriah Hall is top fifteen, ten, fifteen at middleweight. Like why? Mm-hmm. Why is he getting that monster? You know, and so, and I think that there's not there's not really clarity on how a fighter gets that deal. Yeah, it's it's weird. Yeah, I've I've tried to get monster because you know Hans he uh, Hans Mullenkamp he runs that division out here, and I've never been able to really get in contact with them about getting monster. But I mean, yeah, then then Dominic has it and. Michael Chandler has it. So, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I guess they just have better personal relationship with the guy or something. Yeah, so. yeah I mean, it's all about relationships. You know, what? You know, um, Pascal, so we, we past episodes, we had Rob Macy of the MAFA. We also had Lucas Middlebrook of the PFA. Obviously, for the PFA, that – it does nothing for you because they're they're only trying to to help out the UFC fighter, uh, right? You know, Rob Mace is trying to help the MAFA. Are are you paying attention to that stuff, or are you trying to kind of you know keep up on, on the latest going on there because of if this were to ever happen? 
PFA and yeah, not really. What's what's going on there? Well, I mean, obviously, there. Um, Lucas Millbrook did say that uh, the the clock has started once uh, once the first union card gets signed. You have right. one year to, for it to happen, and, and he said that that process has started. Obviously, uh, they need thirty percent of the UFC roster. So, I mean, you're talking. I mean, there's six hundred fighters, you know, right. and. You know, one of the things that I like what they're trying to do is offering health care benefits. Um, I think that's one of the things that when I look at it, you know, um, I forget the fighter, um, Ally Quinta. And look, I yeah. I give Ally Quinta all the credit in the world because I, I don't know if two or three years ago fighters would spe- be speaking out the way they are. I mean, look at how Al came out talking about. You know, he was fighting about you know the UFC paying for his his surgery, a part of, of the healthcare plan they have. Um, you know that that's one of the things of you know, you know. I mean, we we've seen it in other sports. We, we got to protect the athletes, not just now, but you know when they're done playing. Right, right, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, the, all that stuff. You know, going with uh, you know medical and everything that that would be awesome. I I know right now you know this. Uh, Affordable Care Act, bull crap. Like, I looked into that. It's hardly affordable for a fighter. It was like three hundred and fifty a month minimal for crappy coverage for me. So, I still never got it, even though I'm technically supposed to be penalized. But yeah, yeah I, mean, I remember when that stuff came out. I looked into it. and I was like, uh, I'm better off just doing it on my own. Right. Yeah, you're better off just going going to an insurance. Yeah. I mean, but. I mean, I've talked to fighters before, and they'll say sometimes you're are you're uninsurable because yeah. that they don't they once they know what you want to do. I mean, Joe Warren, I, he talked about this recently. He said he goes, I've tried to lie to people and just tell them like, no, I just train at gym. I don't fight, you know. But it, I remember years ago doing an interview with uh, Joe Stevenson. He he had said to me, he said he goes, I'm only reason I have health insurance is because it's under my wife's plan and we've had it for years. Right, right, yeah, it's. Uh... It definitely, uh, I was able to get it when I first started back in like 2009, but that was only because I said I worked at a gym. So it was underneath the gym, thankfully, and I was able to get the health care that way. And it was really cheap, actually. It was only like 130 a month. But like I said, since then, I've looked into it out here and man, it's not even, it's not even negotiable. You know, I can't even, I can't even begin to try to get it, so... I mean, it, from from your aspect, it, do you think that a union or association is, is the right path to go, or is the right path of sitting there and going, "Hey, I'm an independent contractor, and it's my job to to negotiate the best uh, contract I can get for myself"? No, I think a union brings a lot to the table. Considering you know you get everyone together, and now all of a sudden we we got people who are well, we're not going to fight unless this changes, and you know if if enough guys start speaking out and enough big names start start getting with it i think changes will occur but it can't just happen with one or two guys speaking out because you know we, we've seen how that goes we'll just get rid of you you know or give you a fight you can't they don't want you to win and get rid of you so i i don't necessarily think a union's a bad thing so yeah it, it's i've said this i i think it's just such an interesting time in the business side of mma you know you've got the antitrust lawsuit we'll see what ultimately uh you know comes out of that obviously with new ownership in the ufc how will they how how will they go about it do we start to see kind of more of the the fights that 
that make the most money. I mean, you I mean look at Eddie Alvarez, Conor McGregor, and and right. I have, and I have no and, and look and Eddie's been in this game for a long time, just like you have. I, I, I'm happy for the guy that you know he's finally going to get this this huge money fight for himself. Um, you know, and look, you know, Conor McGregor, he's the biggest draw in this game. I, I don't think there's right. anyone who, who's going to doubt it. Um, and I don't know if you saw the, the press conference today in New York. He, he was full out in promotional mode. There, there was no question <laughs> about it. You, you might want to, next time you see Jeremy Stevens, you should ask him about uh, that interaction between those two. I, I, I did see that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, Connor is Connor, man. He's got to come back for everything. And obviously he, uh, he makes it over to that international market being from Ireland too. So people love that guy, man. I mean, like, while people may kind of, you know, try to crap on Jeremy Stevens, he was the only guy on that podium that tried to take advantage of that situation. Right. You know, right. And, and that's when you're at a press conference with the Conor McGregor, I mean, first off, there's going to be a ton of tension just because Conor's there. You've got to take advantage mm-hmm. of that situation. And I'm sitting there watching that press conference going, you can't be having just these blah answers because that's right. it, it's just not going to get attention. So I, I give Jeremy Stevens all the credit in the world. And, you know, who knows? If Jeremy Stevens goes out there and defeats Frankie Edgar, there, it might be six months from now that we sit there and go, hey, Jeremy Stevens, it was back on uh, what's uh, today's uh, September 27th, is that was ultimately the start of him potentially getting a fight against Conor McGregor, which obviously financially would change his life. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, uh, like you said, uh, I did see the snippet, you know, and I, I thought he had a pretty good answer. You know, he, he does. He, he knocks people out and he puts them to sleep and Connor TKO's people, you know. But, you know, Connor's comeback was relatively, like, blah, too, though. He's, you know, who the you know who the fuck are you? Like, yeah. Well, he's been in the game for 20-some fights now, you know. He's been here well longer than you. So. And, and he goes out uh, and, and whether, whether, you know, people, whether you like Jeremy Stevens or, or you don't, the guy goes out there and puts on entertaining fights every time he goes out. Absolutely. That's why he's on the main card every single fight. And, and he goes out there and he, he throws caution in the wind, man. And you, you got to like that, man. Yeah. I, I know, you know, um, kind of going back to, to when you were in Bellator, you know, and, and I remember, especially after you got the Honeycutt win and, and people said, you know, oh, maybe they'll do Michael Venom Page. And I would tell people there yeah. is no way Bellator will book that fight. No way. I go, you could put whatever odds you want in that fight happening. And I said, because they're not going to put Michael Page against a wrestler like yourself. I mean, I got to imagine that even when you were wanting that fight, you knew, like, this is like a 1% chance this fight happens. Yeah, absolutely. Knew it was a long shot. And, uh, but, you know, when, when he, had, there was a couple times I, I directly would, you know, I'd put him in the tweet and try to, try to get that fight going. You know, that's, a fight I I wanted a lot of eyes would be on that fight, but you know I, I kind of did know in the back of my mind it was to no avail. But man, you got to put it out there, or else you're not going to get a response, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and and I think Twitter is is literally it's one of the best because oh, it, it, it's a great way for a fighter to get what they're feeling out there without having to call up a media member. I mean, let's just be honest about right. it. I mean, and, and it's so quick. You could be sitting, you know, you could be just laying on your couch, fire off a tweet, and people know what you're thinking. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's that quick, you know, that you can, uh, some, you know, things can change that quick just through a, a stupid little tweet. But, I mean, if you're not, you're not out there on the social media, you're not letting your voice be heard, you know, you, you're not going to get heard. 
In terms of Michael Page, the guy's a dynamic striker. There's no question about it. Do you relate his striking to anyone in the game? Uh, I mean, the closest thing I could probably think of is like a Uriah Hall. But even then, you know, he, he does some absolutely crazy stuff, you know, and he's long, he's lanky, and he's quick. So, I mean, I think he's a great striker. I just... I, I don't know how his ground game is, and I don't know that we will ever find out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of, you know, and I'm finally glad that there is finally a step up in competition. I, I you know, right. and, and look, and people can call me biased, and, and I really don't care. But you, right. you, you know, the last matchup that Sam Kaplan booked for him was no Sean Burrell. And that was a fight that went all 15 minutes, and no, Sean, I, I thought went in there with a very good game plan, make it, made it a, a grappling fight against the fence. Ultimately, doesn't get the decision. But after that fight, it was just it was a, it was a step down in competition. And, and no disrespect to those fighters, but it was like, come on, he should have been fighting better competition than he was. Um, right. You know, I mean, and Fernando Gonzalez, it's 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 a step up in competition. It's not a fight where I don't think you're going to see Fernando Gonzalez. Uh, you know, making a wrestling matchup, but it, it's kind of you know, kind of a way. I think the narrative we had with Conor McGregor, you know, over the last two years is is what is he going to do when he fights a wrestler? And I mean, you look at that one seventy pound division uh, with you no longer a part of that. There's not really who's the best wrestler. Yeah, I mean, I it's a lot of strikers if you if you think about it and. Um, I think that's kind of what one of the reasons, you know, uh, I wasn't re-signed is I'm a bad matchup for a lot of those guys, you know, the Paul Daly's, the Douglas Lima's, you know, because, uh, you know, I, I can throw hands and I can take you on the ground, too. So you got to be worried about more than one thing. But, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, especially Michael Venom Page, it's pretty obvious that they are very one dimensional. So. Well, you know, it's just it'd be interesting to see, you know, and I, like you said, I can't Joey Davis maybe, but he's, he's got, he's so raw though. Three, four. Yeah. He's got like three or four years to even get to that point. So, I mean, that's one thing I think Bellator has done a tremendous job is signing these amateur wrestlers, but they have to be very smart about how they bring them up. I mean, you're, you're talking about, you are developing them and mm-hmm. you know, you got to sit there and you can't do that, that huge step up in competition. I mean, there's some. There's some times on the regional scene that I see some fires. I'm like, okay, you, you see the glimpses of they could be something special. And, and then you see, and, and this is where I think you have to have good management in this industry of making sure they're putting you in, in the right matchups. I mean, Bellator has to be so careful with all those guys. Right, right, yeah. And uh, like you said, we see it with Michael Venom Page, you know. Uh, I mean, they put – you know, even though Cyborg has a, a name, we, we got to be honest. The guy hasn't really been relevant for five, six years, and he's almost forty years old. And they put him out there, and damn right, almost got him killed, man. I mean, so. are you are you like me? Like he's talking about fighting. Like he mentioned December. I don't uh, feel comfortable with that at all. I, and I guess, and there's also part of me that's like, when you, I mean, after what happened to him, you're like, should this guy ever fight again? I mean, I. I you know, I'm someone that's always siding with fighter safety, and I'm like, God, I, and, and if you're Bellator, if you let him come back, let's say even January, February, there's going to be a lot of heat on them of where they should be allowing him to fight. Yeah, I mean, I I honestly do not think he, he should fight. I, I looked into his injury quite a bit, and it was literally centimeters from making that guy a vegetable. So, um, I mean, I, I honestly don't think 
he should ever fight again or a commission should let him fight. I mean, look at his age alone. He, you know, he's going to be 40 years old. He's had a great career in this sport, and he's, but he's been in absolutely wars with guys like Melvin Manhoff and Diaz. And I, I don't think it's a great idea to ever let that guy fight again. I mean, just from what I, I read on that whole injury, like, he literally could have been a vegetable if his skull had went a couple more centimeters in, caused you know had actually impacted with the brain. So yeah, it, it's I, it's so scary. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, your skull got caved in, dude. Like, it's probably time to call it a career. You've had a great career. You know, you fought for the strike force belt and you've had great fights. But I mean, there's a time and place to call it a career, and I think it's time. It's interesting you bring that up, uh, knowing when there's a time and place to call a career. I remember having a conversation with a football player, and and I said to him, I said, I go, when will you know when it's time to to hang up the cleats? And and he said to me, he said, he goes, my body will tell me. And he goes, I'm not going to be that guy that's going to hang around just to get a paycheck. Have you even, has that ever come in your mind of, of knowing, okay, I'm going to know when it's time to walk away? Yeah, absolutely. When I when I feel I've I've lost a step or two, it, it's time. Like I'm not, I'm the same way. I'm not going to be one of those guys who just hangs around and fights for a paycheck because it's you know like we've already talked about the money. It's the money's not really even there. Uh, you know I, it's, you know you're fighting paycheck to paycheck. I, I think uh, you know when I finally feel like I've kind of lost a step or my body starts giving up or shutting down on me, it's it's probably time to go. You know so. I, I'm not going to push my my body to the point where someday I'm not able to walk when I'm 50 or 60. So uh, I, I think I'll know. Uh, right now, like I I said before, my body feels great. I, I've been pretty fortunate, but I've also been doing a lot of different things later in my career as far as therapy and rehab and, you know, training smarter, not harder, you know. I, yeah. I can't train like I used to be able to when I was 20 years old, so – uh, but yeah, you see it all the time. These guys hang around too long and, and they, they're getting knocked out, you know, when, you know, for instance, you got a guy, you know, like Phil Baroni, who, you know, I hear guy can barely form a sentence anymore and it's just too bad, you know? Yeah. It's scary when you see that stuff. Um, yeah, obviously you got the world series of fighting debut coming up here, uh, November 12th, as you mentioned, uh, same, same night as, UFC 205 taking on taking on Yushin Okami. Obviously, Yushin's about been around this game, but now at, at 170, do you do you see major differences in him at, at 170 as opposed to when he was at 185? You know, I, I not not so much. You know, I, I think one of the big reasons he probably came down to 170 was you know he got he got knocked out twice at 185. He probably thinks he can come down to this weight class and the power isn't there. Or, you know the guys aren't going to be able to hit that that hard, but I'm one of the few guys that can really throw heat. So, you know he's he's going to be a tough dude. Uh, you know I know he's the the word on the street is he's super strong, and but you know I also watched his John Fitch fight and I kind of felt like he faded pretty hard towards the end of the fight. So, mm-hmm. you know I, I I can only imagine he's cutting a large amount of weight because he was a big eight uh, big eighty five pounder too. So. Obviously, everyone knows him for his grappling, but you know when you look at the World Series of Fighting 170 pound division, obviously some some notable names, you know Fitch and uh, Shields, going to be fighting for the title on, on that card. Uh, you know, where where do you think uh, their wrestling stacks up to what you bring in the wrestling department? You know, I, I've been in there with you know the highest level with some of the 
the best wrestlers, you know, you know, at the college level, you know, I fought Chris and Chris couldn't take me down. Uh, you know, I've actually only been taken down one time in a fight out of 31, 32 fights, knock on wood. But I think I'm, I think I'm pretty far up there. You know, I actually think I have better wrestling than those guys, but it's all about putting it together against those guys and not letting them, you know, try to put me against the cage and grind me out and take me down that way. So I, got to use my speed my quickness and i'm more of a I'm more of kind of a blast double type of guy and and put you on your back then you know just kind of sit there and and, yeah. and pepper you against a cage type guy so when you when you take somebody down and the referee is telling you you need to work you need to work what, what's going through your mind when, when you hear a referee say that because i think just, there's sometimes we, we you're sitting there watching a the fight going he is working yeah, yeah, you know, whenever the referee says that, I remember I fought Amasu, you know, and, and even near, whenever I heard that, it, I just would throw like seven or eight fast punches as fast as I could because a guy like Amasu, man, I didn't want him getting back up because he's so athletic and explosive, you know, so I knew by, by having that type of grinding fight where I just kept working and punching his body, I was going to wear that dude down, so What's as it? soon as, yeah, as soon as I hear, you know, one of the refs say, you know, get to work. I literally just all start throwing, you know, <laughs> whether they hit or not, <laughs> doesn't really matter. So wasn't it the near fight where like he was begging for a stand up? Yeah, it, w- it was kind of funny because every time he would beg and look up, I would crack him hard as hell in the face. So. I, I mean, I'm thinking off the top of my head, and, I'm, and I want to say, like, wasn't it like. When you were waiting for the decision to be read, he's complaining because I believe McCarthy was a referee yeah. for that fight, and yep. I think McCarthy said it's not my job for you to get off your back. Yeah, exactly. You know, Josh was—I mean, it would have been stupid to stand up with him. You know, even though I felt, you know, I I cracked him right away in the first round, cut him wide open with the overhand right. But after I hit my first takedown, and he literally it felt like he just fell over. It was kind of. You know, it was it kind of bit, would have been stupid to do anything else. It was actually one of the easiest fights I've ever had in my career, believe it or not. So, you know, I knew, I knew I was way stronger than him, and my pressure was way too much for him. So every time I even shot, he just, it was like he tripped over his own feet, it felt like. If that's one of the easiest fights of your career, what was the, one of the hardest fights? Probably the Amasu one. I mean, that guy kicked my ass for the first round, <laughs> threw me twice, uh need me in the face you know but we expected that we we knew he was going to come out guns a blazing um and uh we just knew we had to weather the storm because every fight i've ever seen that he doesn't break the guy in the first round he he slowly starts to fade so he came out guns a blazing hip tossed me like twice need me in the face so it was uh that was one of my tougher fights for sure so and then obviously you know one of my other harder fights was when I first fought Nate Coy and then the second fight with him too, just cause I knew it was going to be a dog fight cause we're both good wrestlers and he hits hard and I hit hard. So yeah. And almost is actually, he's been on a roll lately. I think he's won five in a row. I want to say three of them are by first round stoppage. Um, so, uh, I know that, uh, his camp is, is trying to get that, that UFC offer. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, uh, I got to get you from a fire's perspective here last weekend, Roy Nelson, uh, gets a win against uh, Bigfoot, and then after the fight, kicks John McCarthy in the butt, and then flicks him off. What? Which when you see that as a fighter, what goes through your mind? I 
you know, I understand what he's thinking or feeling in that moment, but dude, like the UFC, it's pretty, it's already obvious the UFC really doesn't like you. And then you're going to go and do something like that. Like now you're definitely on that, like, you know, on that, their bad side, you know, and Dana, Dana White's come out and said, you know, he doesn't like Roy Nelson already. So I think on, on his part, it was really stupid. Um, you know, you should never put your hands on a referee or your feet for that matter. But yeah, I mean, I understand what he was thinking, but that it wasn't, it definitely wasn't the right display. And I, I think it's going to set him back actually. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, and I mean, when it comes to knocking out fire, I think 90% of the time I'm, I'm going to side with the fire here, but you, you just can't. I mean, look at the Jason High situation. I, I, You're right. I, I, you know, did not agree at all with the, with the UFC cutting him. I mean, I think that there should have been some type of monetary fine, um, you know, and, and, you know, maybe you put him on the sideline for six months to kind of maybe kind of send that message. But with Roy, I mean, it, it's almost like, you know, when you look at some of his comments about, uh, you know, USADA, uh, and some other things, I've wondered, like, is this a guy who's trying to get released by the UFC? And then if you get released by the UFC, it's not like, I mean, and, and Roy is a is a guy that, that fans want to see, but if all of a sudden you have one organization that's not one to be in your business, that doesn't give you leverage when you're trying to negotiate with other organizations because they know it. Right, right, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of been Roy's thing to, like, I don't know, man, like like you said, he he, he goes out and he does things that puts him in bad, bad standing with the company. And you, like you said, like, I mean, if he does get cut by the UFC, there, there goes his, his, uh, you know, his bargaining power, you know, cause then Bellator can sign him to far less or world series or whoever, you know, so yeah. can't uh, really pit them against each other. Of course, we got to see the uh, the MMA debut of CM Punk. I was uh, I was in, I was in Atlanta because uh, it's football season, so I'm traveling every other weekend. And uh, you know, in, in the place I was at, it, it was definitely the, the fight that that people were the most interested in. And I wasn't surprised by the outcome. Um, right. I kind of thought it would probably end in the first two minutes. I was surprised how he started that fight, just kind of attacking Mickey. Because I've talked to people who've trained with Mickey, and they're saying, "Look, you know, is the UFC ready? No, but this kid was going to get there." Right. But right. I, you know, when you see that, I have to imagine for you who this is your life, and, and you have been doing this, and you're in, in that room every day. I mean, look, CM Punk. I mean, clearly. You know, he he was training hard as well, but of course, also got a huge payday out of it. D- does it bother you as a fighter to see guys like CM Punk, uh, looks like Ryback, going to go into Bellator that you know essentially have no martial arts background, and all of a sudden they're getting these opportunities because of the potential audience they could bring from the professional wrestling world? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was a damn disaster, man. <laughs> um, I mean, if. Like, I noticed it from the beginning. I don't know if anyone else did, but, like, it was more about the walkout than getting into the ringer cage. I actually, uh, my old grappling coach, Neil Mellinson, he said it best. You got guys who want to be fighters, but they're more worried about the damn walkout and, like, getting fired up and pumping your hands up than the actual fight, you know. And I kind of got that, you know, that feeling from, uh, uh, from uh, CM Punk, you know, he kind of stood there in the cage, looked up, and 
you know, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I mean, the guy's getting paid $500,000 and he lasts, what, a minute and a half. And I mean, I think if anyone followed that, uh, you know, the, the rise of CM Punk or whatever that was documentary, I think we could all very well see that that was probably going to be the outcome. You know, he didn't really have the skills, uh, you know, but he gets to go in the UFC just because of, of his name and, and make a ton of money. But, you know, and then, then you got guys like Brock Lesnar who can do it, but are, who are like legitimate athletes. Yeah, but he's and, got that background. Yeah, legitimate. Yeah, exactly. And Sam Punk has never even wrestled or been in like a, you know, uh, been like a legitimate athlete in a, in a, in a top sport. So, yeah, it definitely perturbs you a little bit because he goes out there and makes 500K for two and a half minutes of a beating. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, and, I just, my gut feeling, and I'll get your thought. I think we see CM Punk fight again. Yeah, hopefully not in the UFC. <laughs> well, I but, mean, uh, he should. I mean, look, he should have. He, he should have started out on the the regional yeah. scene. But I, I can't blame the guy for the UFC to call him up and offer him five hundred grand, and he takes a fight. Yeah, absolutely not. And, and when you think to that, like you'd be a dummy not to take that. And, but, but the UFC uh, could the UFC that that was bad matchmaking on their part. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Mikey Gall is actually a really good fighter. Uh, everything I've watched on that kid, that, that kid is a legit brown belt on the ground. He looked great. And, you know, he, he's got pretty good stand-up, too. But like you said, uh, I don't think he's ready to beat the top caliber UFC guys, but I think he could probably beat the lower end of them. Yeah, I mean, I, we, me and Sam have talked about this in the past. I think almost what might be wise for him, and, and I thought the Sage Northcote call-out, I, I pretty much figured that was going to be his call-out. But right. I, I was sitting there going, this might be if you're in the management of Mickey Gall, you maybe go to the UFC and say, look, we still want him to develop. How about we put him on your regional shows that are on Fight Pass? So you're still, you know, he's in the eye of your fan, but this also allows him instead of, I mean, you know, 170, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're in UFC, Bellator, World Series of Fighting. It's killers up and down that roster. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I don't think it'd be a bad idea for him to go to something like Tiding or, you know, uh, the RFA legacy thing that's going on now, too, you know. But What's your I thought mean, about that, man? I mean, that's got to be huge. I mean, I got to imagine there's guys where you train out are looking at that going, okay, the LFA, which is what's going to be called, Legacy Fighting Alliance, yep. you know, like they got to be sitting there going, okay, that's the place to go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're uh, they're on UFC Fight Pass, and, you know, you combine two organizations, so hopefully there's a little bit more money for the fighters as well. And plus you're still getting seen on that TV deal, and, you know, it seems like, you know, get get a title in there, the next step would definitely be the UFC for those fighters. So. Were you shocked when Joe Silva walked away? Yes and no, because I know, like, I don't think Joe generally liked his job, you know? I mean, it's got to get old after a few years, but then again, I, I'm sure he was getting paid well for it, too. So, but, uh, I mean, then again, he's gone every single weekend, pretty much, you know? So, I can see that, I can see him walking away, um, but, yeah, I didn't expect it. <laughs> I feel for the, the, the UFC staff that goes to every single event. Ugh, I mean, that's a grind. I mean, you know, look, yeah. I, I do it during football season where I'm at, you know, uh, I mean, this week, you know, last two weeks I've been home, but uh, two weeks from now I've got a game on Monday night, so I, I leave on a, on a Sunday afternoon. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, but I only do it four months out of the year. 
I couldn't right. imagine doing that, you know, 50, what, you know, 48, 50 weeks a year. Yeah, and you got to remember, too, these guys, they're, UFC has their major events on them the holidays, so might as well take away all that. So, I mean, you got, you know, they have the big, the big card right, uh, right before New Year's, the 4th of July card, you know, and those are times you should be able to spend with your family, but instead you're, about, you know, you're around a bunch of guys getting ready for fights and kind of would suck, you know. It's, it's, a, it's a grind. It's definitely a grind. Uh, did want to get, uh, we got a couple of fan questions. Want to get to those. Obviously, anyone who, who looks at your career, you, you fought in the UFC, Strike Force, Bellator, and now the World Series of Fighting coming up. Uh, you know, and got asked about the pros and, and the cons of, of those promotions. Obviously, with the World Series of Fighting, you haven't had your first fight there, so very limited interaction. But is it kind of – obviously, the UFC is a big show, but do you kind of look at maybe Strike Force and Bellator in, in the same way? Obviously, you were Bell, both regimes of Bellator where they're small organizations and, and it could, can be kind of like a family environment. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, I definitely enjoyed working for Bellator while I was there. It was – I got to know everyone. Uh, everyone was like kind of like family, you know. Instead of a hundred and some employees, it was like sixteen, you know. So I got to I got some pretty good relationships with people, and and uh, yeah, it was kind of nice because you know you you didn't have to go through all the hoopla to get in contact with this person if you needed this. So you know it was kind of nice, but uh, yeah, th- that's definitely what I've always liked about Bellator World Series of Fighting is like I know who I'm dealing with instead where the UFC, it's kind of, you know, it's a corporate business. So when you were in the UFC, you only got two fights. Uh, you you yep. lost to Rafael Rintal by decision at UFC 133. Uh, then you lost a split decision to Mike Pierce and, you know, got asked if, if uh, you know, did you kind of feel you got the short end of the stick there? And, and did you have any resentment towards Joe Silva? You know, I, I just wish I'd got one more fight. My, debut was actually supposed to be against a guy by the name of Charlie Brenneman and and people you know I didn't I did an article a long time ago and people went crazy saying it wasn't the same weight class blah 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 well that's all bullshit like they were gonna have me come in three days before the fight and uh they were actually gonna give me a catch weight which I didn't even ask for but what I mean why would I turn down a catch weight on three days notice you know it was gonna be at 175 so you know, lo and behold, Charlie turned it down, and then, you know, by some act of God, he fought, you know, Rick Storr in the main event when, when uh, what's his name, tested positive for high testosterone. Yeah, tested positive for high testosterone. Well, uh, either way, that kept me in good faith with UFC, but then, you know, the only fight I could get was the Natal fight on short notice up a weight class. So I took it. You know, I fought hard. It wasn't my best performance, but, you know, I went out and did my best and you know i i genuinely came prepared for for mike pierce and we had a great fight man and you know could have really went either way and it's one of those things where i was hoping for another fight but that that's kind of the ufc saying was you know you gotta win or you're gonna get cut so you know i just i just wish i could have had one more but hey man it's life i guess so but you got the fight coming up here, uh, World Series of Fighting against Yushin Okami. Good luck uh, in that fight. Uh, I got to imagine yeah. this past Sunday was a little rough for you watching your Steelers play. That was awful. <laughs> they uh, they actually, you know, people are predicting that that you know that was the best team this season was the Steelers. 
they did not look like the best team. I can tell you that much. Uh, you know, Carson Wentz, he ran all over those guys and looked like our defense hadn't played a snap all season. I mean, it was pretty bad. Uh, I think it was William Gay got turned backwards, <laughs> running, running after that running back. And, but yeah, Carson Wentz, man, that guy's a real deal. And, and, uh, it's kind of crazy. He came from North Dakota State and the, uh, the Browns actually, uh, passed on him, you know. So. Yeah, that, that does look right. That doesn't look very good for the Browns. We, we, uh, the Bucks played the Eagles in, in the preseason, first game. And, uh, he got hurt in that game. And, and we were talking about it after the game. And, and, and I said, I go, this guy doesn't learn how to slide. He's not going to make it uh-uh. in the league. Uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah. Because he's not a big dude. No, no, not at all. I mean, you look well, at the, these guys that, that are the running quarterbacks. Um, you know, you got to learn to slide. I mean, I, I don't know if you've seen that kid out of Louisville, Lamar Jackson. Oh my goodness! Oh yeah, he yeah. Uh, he has got a cannon on him. Quick release. I'm a Florida State fan, so I, I watched that uh, abomination uh, two weeks ago. Is that the is that the kid they're saying that threw over a hundred yard football? Like. I could have swore I saw. Oh uh, yeah, no he he's got like that Michael Vick quick release cannon on him. I mean he's okay. He, he's a he's an incredible talent. I mean you know and and you know it's it's one of those things of and, and I love watching college football. Um, yeah. Sometimes those guys' games can translate to the NFL. Sometimes they don't. You know because at the end of the day that that college head coach his his ultimate goal is not about getting them ready for the NFL. His goal is about getting them to win football games so he keeps his job. Right, uh, but right. man, he he is uh, an incredible talent. Incredible talent. It's uh, it, one of the things, that, and and I say this as uh, now I'm up in the booth. But when you know I first started, I was down on the sidelines. People don't understand how fast those players are. Oh man, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. The you know these guys are running what four ones, four twos. That that's just nuts to me, man. And and even even the linemen like. A lot of these linemen are running like four eights. Like that, that's just nuts. Oh man. yeah, it's crazy. It, it, they're getting I mean, bigger. That, they're getting faster. A three hundred and fifty pound man that can run at you at you know a four eight speed. That that's a scary thing, man. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. But uh, you know, it's it, it's fun. I enjoy I enjoy yep. what I do. You know, it's uh, yep. I didn't I didn't like our hour uh, weather delay this week. That wasn't fun. Um, with two <laughs> with two minutes to go in the game, but I'll tell you. It, it it lightning around that stadium for like twenty minutes. Yeah, I mean, wow. It, you know, it's you know, it's it, it was. I was like, okay, you know, I mean, everything's about player safety, but yeah, it was. Uh, right. Instead of getting home by like eight o'clock, I didn't get home till after ten o'clock. So it was <laughs> like, oh, game days are a long day for me. It's it's like you on fight day. It's a long day. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you get there super early to the stadium and then you're stuck there till the very end and then a little bit after doing, you know, doing interviews and Oh, it, it's it, it, and... it's it's a good I, I for a home game, I get there 4 hours before game time and then oh. I usually walk out about an hour and a half after the game ends. So, I mean, it's 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 and if it's a road game, uh it's five, I leave we leave our hotel 5 hours before game time. And then, you know, depending on, you know, where we're playing at, you know, how long that flight is home, you know. So, like, uh, uh, two weekends ago, we were in Arizona. So, I think I walked into my house, like, around 2 o'clock in the morning. Wow. On on the East Coast. So, yeah. Yeah. It's it's fun. It's fun. But you've got your fight coming up here. Of course, I mentioned people can follow you on Twitter, at Paul Bradley 184. Anywhere else on social media they can uh, interact with you? 
Yeah, you know, it's Paul Bradley 170 is my fan page on Facebook. And then uh, uh, Instagram is Paul Bradley 184. And then uh, Snapchat, too. Same thing, Paul Bradley 184. It's try to keep it all uh, all simple and easy and same account. So, Paul, I really appreciate time. Thanks for filling in here this week. Uh, and good luck here at, uh, in your WSOF debut, man. Awesome. Thank you for having me, man. Follow Jason Floyd and Sam Kaplan on Twitter. Find them at Jason underscore Floyd and at Sam Kaplan MMA. This is the MMA Insiders Podcast on Radio Influence.